Good morning, church. Hope you guys are doing good, doing good. Uh, I'm excited to share with you this morning out of the book of Habakkuk. So um, this is the next minor prophet we're going to look at. I just want to go ahead and jump in this morning, um, and we'll continue this series. Uh, it's been a great series. I think it's been a very timely series. It's been a very challenging series. I believe the book of Habakkuk is no different each of these prophets sort of has its own nuance. They all have a very similar message about the coming day of the Lord, um, but then the hope that we have because of, and they're foreshadowing Christ. And so we're looking at these books at hundreds of years before Jesus, they're foreshadowing Christ who would come and ultimately redeem all things. And so Habakkuk is very similar in that, that but each one has its own nuance, and we'll see that today with Habakkuk. Um, Let's go ahead there and turn to Habakkuk then. Um, in Habakkuk chapter 2 is where we're going to start. I want to give you a little bit of background on this book. Um, it's, it's, I've got so much stuff up here. I need a bigger table. Um, but give you a little background. Habakkuk is actually the last prophet before the invasion of Babylon into Israel, into um, the southern kingdom of Judah. They're going to come. They're going to take Jerusalem. Um, we've been looking through these, and we started with uh, the very oldest and coming forward towards um, the, the newer, the, the more recent ones. Um, and this is one where um, sort of this final invasion of God's people, the kingdom of Israel, is about to happen. It's really, really imminent. They're about to be taken into Babylon. Um, and so Habakkuk has a very urgent message. He is, he, is, he, he is even in this place where he is himself perplexed at what he's seeing. And he really begins to complain to God. And he begins to tell God, like, what is going on? And he's saying, Lord, I don't see your word being proclaimed anymore. He says, I, I don't see your ways being lived out anymore. And he says, God, I don't see your works happening anymore. And he is in this place of not understanding. He's, he can't wrap his mind around what God is doing or even where is God in this time? What are you doing, God? And I imagine a lot of us have been in that place at some time in our lives. And so Habakkuk brings some complaints to God, questioning those three areas. And God begins to respond to his complaints. And where we're picking up in verse or chapter 2, verse 1, is where we're going to read, begin reading. God is giving his response to Habakkuk's complaint, one of his complaints that he gave to God. And so we're going to begin reading here in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. And listen to this. This is like so bold of Habakkuk, this very first verse. He says this to God. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And so he looks at this and he literally says, I'm gonna stand and I'm gonna look you God in the eyes and I'm waiting for you to give me an answer to what in the world is going on. He goes on and the Lord begins to answer. It says in verse two, then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end 
and it will not prove false or it will not tarry. It will not wait. He says, though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. Verse four, see the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright. He's speaking about the Babylonians there. He's beginning to tell Habakkuk what is going to happen. He says, Habakkuk, I'm about to give you a vision, a revelation of what is going to happen. And I'm going to give you an understanding of my purposes. He says, wait for it. It may seem like it's not going to come, but Habakkuk, this is sure. This is sure. Even though Habakkuk, you don't understand and my people, they may not understand. This is what's about to happen. And he says, wait for it. Though it may seem to tarry, it will come. It will not be late. It will not delay. It will be in perfect timing and my plan will be worked out. Verse four, he says, see the enemy is puffed up. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Babylonians. He says his desires are not upright. He says, but listen, the righteous person will live by his faithfulness or will live by faith. Go ahead and give you a little bit of a, a, a foreshadowing to this message. What he's saying here is, look, the righteous person will hold on to the promise even when they don't understand. This person will hold on. We will hold on. The people of God will hold on because there's a good God working out a sovereign purpose. Verse six, he says, well, not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn saying, woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Go down to verse nine. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. Down to verse 12, woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people labor, the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? He's saying, look, don't you see that all these nations that are coming against you, all these nations that are puffed up, all these nations that in their greed are trying to exalt themselves, don't you know that this will come to nothing? And he says, this is why. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Have y'all ever heard that verse if you've been around a little while? Only almost every week, right? That this is the purpose of God's people, to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Verse 15, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. Then down to verse 19, woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? It is covered with gold and silver. There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. And then I want to jump over to one other verse in chapter three as Habakkuk is beginning to see what the Lord is doing. As he begins to realize this, this verse stands out to me. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed. When you crushed the leader, it literally means, the ESV puts it this way, you crushed the head of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you this morning. 
for vision, for the vision you've given us of what is to be, what is to come. I thank you, Lord, for your sustaining grace. I thank you, God, that you have a plan and a purpose. Would you open our eyes to see this? Would you let us hear your spirit this morning speak to us in the deepest part of our being? Would you continue to transform God, taking us from glory to glory to be made more in the image of Christ? Would you take this community of people and today begin gelling us together, pulling us together, uniting us together in a greater way for your purposes and for your glory, Lord. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. The very beginning of the book of Habakkuk, it, it says this, and it says the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, but it literally is the oracle. That word for prophecy can mean oracle, um, it can mean message, but the, the word, it also can mean burden. And I'm sure some of you have heard words, you've heard people, had people tell you things in your life at some point that when you heard them, there was a burden on your heart. It burdened you. And this word can be used even of pack animals, pack animals that carry a weight, a burden upon themselves. And what it's telling us is that when Habakkuk received this word from the Lord, that there was a weight to it. It was a burden upon him. He was burdened by this message. It was weighing him down. It was something he had to get out. It was something that the Lord had put on him that was heavy. And, and I know a lot of times in messages, I like to start with something kind of light and funny, but I wanna be honest with you today, this is how my heart feels today. It feels heavy. It feels burdened. Because much like Habakkuk, I'm in this place right now where there's a lot of not understanding. There's a lot of things that are weighing down my heart. Some of you are in the same place where there's just things happening around us that we don't understand, that we don't get. Even in the last year and a half, we've seen so many things. I don't understand. I don't get it. I, I don't understand how the world has gotten to where it is. I don't understand why there's young, young men and women dying around us. I don't understand the tragedies that have happened in our own community this week. I don't understand why I did the funeral of a 46-year-old last Tuesday, and this Tuesday I'm doing the funeral of a 19-year-old. I don't understand that. I don't get it. I don't get all the trouble that we see around us throughout the world. I don't understand it. And this question that kept coming to me this week as I look at the book of Habakkuk, which is so timely, as I look at it and, and, the, and the question that kept coming to mind is this, how do we keep moving towards God and his purposes when we don't understand? How do we hold on in faith? And this is the answer in a, in a nutshell of what I believe the Lord gave me. That the present reality of our salvation has secured for us an unshakable future so that we can fully live in the present. 
I'm going to say it again. The present reality of our salvation has secured for us an unshakable future so we can fully live in the present. So I want you to see this. The Bible is a visionary book. It is a book of revelation. It reveals who God is. It reveals what is to be. It is a visionary book that shows us God's intent and what God will ultimately accomplish. We see this as we look at Habakkuk 2.1 and he says, write this revelation. But here's the cool thing about the Bible is that it's all connected. And the revelation, the vision that God gives Habakkuk is not a new vision. It is chronicled throughout the Bible from beginning to end. And what we see is when he says, write down this revelation, write down this vision. And then we go to verse 14. He says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. It's the same vision that God had for the earth way back in Genesis chapter one. And that is talked about from Genesis chapter one all the way through to the end of the Bible in the last chapters of Revelation when it is fully revealed. And this visionary book gives us this hope of a future when our salvation is secured in Christ. It gives us this vision of what is to come so that when things happen in our life right now, we know that even though I am in pain and I am hurting and I'm questioning and I'm doubting, the righteous will live by faith and we will hold on to the promise because I know this, that in Christ, the best is truly yet to come. And I know this, that one day all the wrongs will be made right and all that's upside down will be flipped on its head so that things are as they ought to be. And even when there's pain and misunderstanding in my heart, this visionary book has given me something to hold on to that anchors my soul. God gives us this vision and it sustains us. It directs us. It unites us. It brings us together. And understand this, the Christian religion is not a rules-based religion, but it is a faith that is grounded in vision. It is a visionary faith. There's so many passages in the Bible that show us that our hope comes from our sure, unshakable future. Habakkuk 2.14 is one of these. The Lord says, look, I'm about to take a nation that is more evil than you, and I'm gonna judge your sin through this evil nation. He says, but do not be mistaken. Their time is coming as well because the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and evil will be eradicated. And what I intended in the beginning will be accomplished and it will be accomplished through my son, Jesus Christ. And one day he will return and make all things right. There are so many passages, passages like Romans chapter eight, verse 18. He says, this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Another one, and these, there's so many, I, I could keep reading for, for hours. I'm not gonna do that, I promise. But here's the thing, if you look at 2 
Corinthians chapter four, Paul writing again, he says in verse 17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You go to Hebrews chapter 12, even the writer of Hebrews tells us this about Jesus, that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. He knew what was on the other side of the cross, that the joy for Christ was in the future when his creation is fully reconciled with himself. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 again that even the creation longs for the revealing of the Son of Man because the creation itself has been subjected to decay because of sin. There is this longing for this future reconciliation of all things with God. And the Bible gives us this great vision of what is to come. And this present reality of our salvation has secured for us an unshakable future so we can fully live in the present. I, I want to begin with this, though. The very first part of that is it says the present reality of our salvation. This is where it all has to begin. There has to begin, be this assurance of our salvation, there has to be assurance of our salvation. How do we know that? How do we know there's an assurance? The way we know that, the Bible says, is that God has given us his spirit. And the spirit causes us to cry out, Abba, Father. And, and the spirit has given us this new heart with affections for Jesus, with affections for God, with a longing for his purposes. And here's where it gets challenging. Because if today we sit and we listen to this message in this room, or we listen to this message online, and there is no affection for Jesus, there's no affection for God, there's no affection for his purposes, then there's only one conclusion that we can make, and that is I do not have the Spirit. The Spirit has not given me a new heart. And the reality of this, y'all, is that the Bible tells us that every person who is a son, a daughter of God, has the Spirit in them. And when we come to faith, the spirit is given. And the only conclusion we can really make from all of that is this, that if the spirit is not in me, then I do not belong to him. And when we look at our lives, does the fruit of our lives bear the evidence that God lives in me? See, hearts that are disconnected from God will be exposed by their fruit. Don't get me wrong, none of us in here are perfect. None of us on watching online are perfect. No, it's not perfection, but it's about affection. Does God have my affection? Am I being transformed into his image? When people's hearts are disconnected from God, its fruit will show. I brought with me, how many of you in school, you remember, um, doing this maybe in elementary school, where you take a styrofoam cup or a solo cup or something like that, and you put some soil in it, right? And then you take some seeds. You take, these are very little seeds. These must be like mustard seeds. But anyway, you take these seeds, and I'm gonna try to get a couple of them out here. I'll probably dump them everywhere. But you take these seeds and you sow them down into that soil. And you pack it in there, you cover it up, and you set it in the windowsill of your classroom, keep some water on it. And, and within a week or two, you start seeing the sprout come up. Guess what? Whatever that seed you sowed into that soil was, 
If it was an apple seed, if it was a soybean, if it was an orange seed, whatever that seed you sowed into that soil was, guess what's coming up? What was in that seed? You're not gonna sow an apple seed and get an orange tree. You're not gonna sow a tomato seed and get a head of cabbage. And the Bible tells us this in Galatians 6, 7. He says this, Paul writing to the church in Galatia, he says, look, God will not be mocked. A man will reap what he sows. In other words, what you sow to in your life, if you sow to God, then you will reap from God. But if you sow to the flesh, to the sinful nature, guess what? You're gonna reap from that. The question becomes, what am I sowing to? Am I sowing to my affections for Christ? Do I have affection for Christ? And some of this may not be immediately evident, the fruit, but it will show. Here's the good news, the opposite is also true. If my heart is connected to God, then it'll be proven by the fruit. When I sow to God, I'll reap from God. The fruit of the spirit of love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, these things will be evident in my life and these things need to be evident in my life, not just for my sake, but for the community's sake, for our sake, so that we can offer these things to each other. When we look at this, the, the, the truth is that there has to be this reality of salvation. It's, it's got to be real. Look, if it's just a religious activity, it will never secure us in an unshakable future. But when Jesus is the Savior of my life and Jesus is the Lord of my life and the Spirit of God is in me and the Spirit of God has given me this affection that I want to cry out, Abba, Father, that I want to worship the Lord, I want my life. It doesn't mean it's perfect, but Lord, I want to live for you. I'm pursuing you. I have joy in you. I want you, God, in my life. When this begins to happen, when that reality of salvation happens. It secures for us an unshakable future. But if our hearts are not connected, listen, hearts disconnected from God ultimately are gonna lead us to be a people who are disconnected. Connected hearts will lead us to be a people who are connected. We can't really understand God's vision, this vision of God that says the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. We can't really grasp why this is so important apart from the community of believers. We need to see this, that God calls us to be this unique community, this diverse community of people called the church. Called the church, the church made up of people, not wood and brick and glass and sheetrock, but people who together charge the enemy's front lines to make a difference in the world, to still fulfill that original vision that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, to charge the enemy's front lines of poverty, of disenfranchisement, of racism, of greed that comes through the selfishness of self-preservation, of hoarding our time and our resources 
He calls us to be a community that tramples on the enemy's fortresses of corruption and violence and dishonest gain and wicked agendas by holding on in faith to the truth and holding out the truth in love. See, it's bigger than what we realize. He calls us together to set captives free to shine light in the darkest places and to liberate those held captive to sin and deception. This is us. We're called to be a community that grows together. See, a community doesn't just appear, poof. A community grows together. A community grows together. See, if we don't get that, if we don't understand that a community grows together and we don't understand that the vision God has for us, even in our salvation, is bigger than me, it's bigger than you because it has to do with us, then we will never really understand what we do on Sunday mornings here. Because when we gather, you know what we're doing, we're growing together. We are declaring the things that unify us. You know what we're doing? We're glorifying God together and we're growing together. We're called to be a community that is growing, a growing community, but it grows one person at a time. It grows one person. One person joins the community and its mission and vision. That one person grows in and with the community. This community, it it has to grow in order to accomplish its purposes, not just numerically, but together. We see a lot of churches focused on how can we grow? How can we get another person in the seats? How can we we see our church explode in numbers? There's growth conferences, but we have to begin to focus on growing together. It's why the church is splintered all over the place. It's why Jesus' prayer in John 17 has not happened, that we would be one as the people, as, as he and the Father are one, that his people would be together. And yet we don't see that because we're so focused on numerical growth and we should be. We should not rest until every person who is far from God has been brought near. But we also need to get our eyes on each other and there needs to be a growth together because we will never accomplish the purpose that God has for us in this community, this nation, and this world as a fellowship until we begin to grow together as a community of believers. We grow together when we serve together. We grow together when we do life together in our connect groups and small groups and triads in some way with other believers. We grow together when we're giving together where our treasure is, our heart will be. When we begin to invest our resources in the same things, the things that matter, the things that bring deep meaning to our life, we will find ourselves more unified. We'll find ourselves growing together. The, The community that grows is on mission together. We're on mission together. We have a common mission. We have a common purpose. And understand this, our significance as in our value and worth is not found in the results of what we do, but the deepest meaning in our life comes from trying to do what God's called us to, to be in relationship with him, to fulfill the mission of God. Our significance is wrapped up in Christ, our value, our worth, but the deepest meaning in our life is going to be discovered when we 
begin to invest together into God's mission, into his purposes. The reason we don't believe this sometimes is because so many of us have never tried it. So many of us have never tried it. I hear this a lot now, especially after the pandemic. I'm doing fine with what I'm doing. I'm not really a part of the community, but my relationship with Jesus is strong. I'm not really investing in the community of believers and in the work of the kingdom, but my relationship with Jesus is strong. I'm doing good. I don't feel like showing my face is that crucial to my contentment and my walk with Jesus. And here's the thing I would say to that is we may be able to declare that. That person who makes those statements may be right, but what if it's someone else's joy? What if it's someone else's contentment? What if it's someone else's relationship with God that needs to see your face? What if it's someone else's, and it, it makes me like literally wanna get weepy because I think about the faces I used to see here. I think about the faces that used to be so invested in the kingdom. I think about the kingdom work that God was doing in them and through them. And for some of you, you've backed away. For some of us, we've, we've kind of disengaged. And right now as I'm saying this, I can see face after face after face coming to my mind. And don't you see though, look, if you're watching online, don't you see that other people need you? That they need your investment? Don't you see that? That they need to see your face when they walk in the door? That they need to see you holding and rocking a kid? Did they need to see us growing together and truly having affection for each other? Because what we do matters. Because what we do matters. Because God has given us a vision. And I know many of you are in places where you don't understand. And you're in places where you feel worn out and washed up and harassed and helpless. But here's the thing I would tell you. Keep holding on to the promise. Keep pressing and moving towards God and keep moving towards his purposes. See, we're called to live in faith. Habakkuk 2.4 to see the enemy is puffed up. The enemy, do you know how puffed up the enemy is right now? Do you know how puffed up the enemy is right now? That a pandemic comes through and it looks like it wiped out half of the church. 
Do you know how puffed up and even though he knows his future is condemnation, do you know right now how puffed up the enemy is? How much he's stolen? How much he's killed? How much he's destroyed? His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The righteous person will hold on by faith. The righteous person is made righteous by faith. We hold on by faith because our present salvation has secured for us an unshakable future that allows us to fully live in the present. And so we see this, that we're called to fully live. And this is a hard truth for us. This is a hard truth for us because it's something we've learned and it's something ingrained. But until we come to terms, until we come to grips with our mortality, we will not be able to truly live. Until our future is secure in Christ and we know that this revelation that the Bible lays out for us is secure in Christ and that no one can take us from his hand. And until we realize that when this outward flesh of mine dies and it goes and it's buried in the ground, until I realize that that is not the end of hope, but that is the realization of my ultimate destiny and journey and fulfillment in God, until we come to terms with our own mortality and realize that death is not the end because it has been swallowed up in victory. Until we come to terms with that, we will never be able to fully live. But he calls us to live fully. And listen, Waiting and holding on in faith does not mean go into your prayer closet or, or go in your home and batten down the hatches and don't do anything until God makes all things right. It means to faithfully live until the vision is fulfilled. It means staying on task. Keep grinding, don't shrink back, don't retreat from your purpose of knowing God and making him known. Our purpose is to still fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And see, here's how I know this, that waiting in hope is not idleness. Waiting in hope, thank you, Bubba. Waiting in hope is not idleness because Habakkuk is prophesying this immediate invasion. He, he is prophesying this immediate invasion and they're coming to take him and he's saying, look, the righteous will hold on by faith. But we know that it wasn't just holding on, waiting till it's over. How do we know this? Because we have the testimony of a young man named Daniel. We have the testimonies of three other young men who were given the names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were young men taken from, from Judah and taken into Babylon. And we know the story of the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We know the story of the lion's den with Daniel. But what you may not realize is this, that when they were in captivity, their faithfulness, them holding on in faith, them not willing to bend the knee to this pagan empire, this pagan king, this pagan nation, led not only one king, but two kings, two pagan kings to worship their God. 
in captivity, in Babylon. What happened is Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Persia, they all saw the mighty works of God through Daniel, Meshach, and Abednego. They saw these works and they not only began to worship God themselves, but they decreed throughout the kingdom that everyone will worship the God of Daniel. We're not called to hunker down. We're called to charge. We're called to hold out the truth in love. We aren't called to sit idly. We're not made for comfortable church pews or church seats. We're made for adversity in the trenches in this spiritual war. We weren't designed to just take nice strolls on the beaches collecting seashells and trinkets. We're designed to take ground on the spiritual battlefields. We weren't meant to sacrifice our lives on the altar of our workplace. We were meant to bring the workplace alive through our sacrificed lives. He's called us to serve, to serve together here and out there. And here's the thing I would challenge us with. Listen, if, if you sit here and you think I'm being pushy, if you think this is a hard message, then, then you're right. It is. It's a challenge. It's a call to wake up, oh sleeper. Wake up. But the people who will complain about this message being pushy, being pushy, you're just pushing us too hard. Guess what? When the enemy was pushing you towards hell, you weren't complaining about that. He goes through these woes. The first woe in verse six, he condemns them for greed in their conquest. And we can sit here and we can say, well, look, I'm not really that greedy, but what are we doing to help the needy, right? We look at the woe in chapter nine. They're con condemned for relying on treasure and wealth for their protection. But listen, you need to understand, everything you've saved up and everything you've stored is just on loan. Because guess what? When you're gone, someone else is gonna have your stuff. Verse 12, they're condemned for violence and justice. And we can say, well, I'm not violent and I'm not unjust, but what are we doing to end it? Verse 15, they're dishonoring other nations. They're, they're embarrassing them. They're taking away their dignity. And we can say, I'm not really a dishonoring person, but what are we doing to build dignity in the lives of other people, to show them their purpose, to show them their potential? We look at verse 19, they're condemned for idolatry, but we just like them so oftentimes trust in our own creations. These things that cannot speak, they can't hear, they can't save. We were doing the devotion the other night, the, the Advent devotion that the church put out. And we were reading, one time we were reading Genesis 1. And we went on into 2. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was void and formless. In other words, it was empty and dark. And it said, darkness hovered over the face of the deep. And he says, but the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters and then God began to speak and life and light began to come and God began to bring order out of the chaos. 
And then when we keep going and we keep looking, what we see is we get to Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And God says, let us make man in our own image. So in the image of God, they created them. Um, male and female, they created them. And he gives them this charge, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. He gives them this charge to continue to bring order out of disorder. And I looked at my wife and my two younger boys, Jackson and Reed, and I said, what do you think our purpose today is? If God was bringing order out of darkness and chaos and emptiness, and then he gave mankind this call to continue to do that, what do you think our purpose is? And they all almost simultaneously said to continue bringing order out of disorder and chaos. I said, exactly. And then my 15 year old son looks me dead in the eyes and he goes, dad, we're not doing a very good job. I said, you're right. And we got to get on the ball. We got to start moving, going, doing. We were meant to be a people who bring order from disorder to fill what is empty, to bring to life what is dead and to give purpose to what is void. What does this look like? What does it look like for us? It looks like us growing together as a community first by serving together here, out there. It does look like that. It looks like us doing life together. It looks like us on mission together. It looks like us giving sacrificially together to the mission. And understand this, it looks like like way more than that. It looks like teenage girls who don't have to go without hygiene products that they need. It looks like a single mother who doesn't have to sleep in a car with three grandchildren because she just got evicted from her house. It looks like people with mental health issues that, that they can get the help they need. It looks like those who can't take care of themselves being taken care of. It looks like those who feel like they're outside the blessing of God, knowing that they matter. It looks like kids who were born into sucky situations that they didn't create for themselves, that they have a chance to fulfill their potential. It looks like people who aren't hungry. It looks like people who at least have the dignity of clean clothes and a place to sleep. It looks like those who want to get better, that they actually have a chance to get better by learning to read, by getting a driver's license, by obtaining a GED, by finding meaningful employment, by learning to budget, by opening a checking account, by being able to put together just a simple resume to find a job. It's by continuing to plant churches all over. We have this vision and we're still planting churches of planting 50 churches by the year 2050. We've got a guy in Savannah right now, Patrick O'Toole. He's at the Savannah Connection Church. He's about to plant in the next couple of years, either in Savannah, Richmond Hill, somewhere in that area. We're called to continue to do this, not just here, but throughout the world. Here's where my conviction's been this week. That if we aren't willing to give ourselves to accomplishing these things to the glory of God, then we are not the church. 
And if we are not the church, then we are not Christians. And if we are not Christians, then we are still dead in our sin. And if we're still dead in our sins, then we're the worst imposters in the world. And we're only fit for our own exile into Babylon because that's the future we've secured for millions. Because our lackadaisical, apathetic religion and posing as Christians has done this to them. The church was created to be a fiery, gritty, revolutionary community of men and women bound together by the love of God. People of all walks of life, all races, all ethnicities, all pedigrees who are motivated by the love of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit and united around the gospel so that we turn the world right side up. We aren't like Habakkuk, who was waiting for a victory. We aren't like the Jews who were in Babylon waiting for God to bring a victory. We aren't waiting. We, if we are in Christ, are living from a victory. We aren't waiting until the enemy is defeated. We're not waiting for authority. The enemy has been defeated and we have all authority in heaven and on earth to fulfill our purpose. In other words, all excuses are gone. Our hearts are laid bare and our lack of conviction for the things of God and our lack of action towards his purpose are the fruit of our apathetic, disconnected hearts. I would challenge you today. to examine your heart. And if you're in a place where there is no affection for Christ, I pray the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to see who Jesus is. That your heart would be connected and that your affections would grow for him. I pray that you would grow in the community of believers. I pray that you would know your future is secured, that you could even embrace your mortality, knowing that the end of this body does not mean the end for those who are in Christ. And that you could begin to truly live, fully live. I pray this for myself. I pray that all of these things would give us the courage to fully live in the present, to be fully alive. If this is gonna happen, we have to begin to sow to the vision of what will be, not what we currently see. Just like this, I didn't stick those seeds in and all of a sudden the fruit came. We have to invest, we have to sow, beginning now to grow as a community together. To serve, to come together, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and with praise, to greet those who are far from God 
with a smile, with a handshake, if you're comfortable, with a hug, if you're really daring. to sacrifice with joy. Romans 12, 1, that in view of God's mercies, I'm willing to joyfully offer my life as a living sacrifice because of the mercy that God's given me. present reality of our salvation has secured for us an unshakable future so that we can fully live in the present. God, would you help us fully live? Even when we don't understand, Lord, That God, our present salvation has secured for us an unshakable future would give us the ability to fully live, to continue to press towards you and towards your purposes, that we would fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, and for the joy that is set before us, run this race with endurance that we would consider him who endured so much for us and therefore we would not grow weary. Oh God, help us to fully live. In Jesus' name, amen.